Hi, this is Kalia. And this is Chris. And this is It's, it's a, a Queer, queer thing. thing. On this show, we focus on politics, civil rights, news, and entertainment. And on this show, we have special guests and interviews focusing on issues relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. So let's get to it. Hey, Chris. Hey, Kalia. Happy spooky season. Ooh, Chris loves spooky season. I know. October I decorated watch. my stuff last night. I decorated my table. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not done. T- tonight I pulled out my zombie guy holding up a lantern and I put him on the table. James probably hasn't noticed him yet. And I, you know, I'm happy. Cool. I thought about getting out the other cover for this couch because I changed the couch covers and some of the pillows and stuff. Right. I made a mental note to do that on the 1st of October. This episode is coming out on the first Friday of October on the 6th. And um, there's a chance that that couch has not been changed yet. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I can see video. You guys can't, but I can see video and it hasn't been changed. But it might be changed. We'll see how busy I get be. before, and before the to trip. to black, I'm assuming? Or? No, it's like a dark green. I okay, just, you know, cool. Little, little, cool. Little fall festive colors. Okay. Anyways... Speaking of things that are special, not just new couch cushions, but today we have a special guest with us on the line. We have James. Everybody say hi to James. Yay! Hi, hi, James. How are you? Now, for those of you who don't know, and I can't believe that there's any of you out there, but James is the wonderful husband of Chris, and they just celebrated not one people, not two, no, no three anniversaries within the last couple weeks so congratulations on all your myriad of love and you guys are adorable and goals and cute and all of that (laughs) stuff but anyways we're so happy to have james with us today we're going to talk about some books well thank you how long have we been together james 27 years 27 years that's almost how old i am oh you fucking bitch i knew you were going to do that oh we have a ways to go before we're as long together as you are old honey. <laughs> no 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 i'm 30 so it's, yeah, it's gloss like... <laughs> over it james trust me that's just that gloss new over math it. i keep hearing about I, it's queer math you've heard of girl math and guy math there's also queer I like that queer math there's women in their 40s math which doesn't exist because none of us are really in our 40s no i'm just kidding actually i'm pretty happy to be in my 40s my 40s are yeah that's so cougar far. age right oh Ouch. <laughs> I felt the pain. You're over 40, right? Yes. Oh, double ouch. The <laughs> arrows. At least you're not a snow leopard yet, honey. Oh, that's oh, true. That go. is true. I pay go. a very nice young man named Charlie to keep any snow from happening up here. <laughs> my girl is Candy. I pay her. She's my she's my uh, uh, super cuts girl that I have gone to for a year now. I won't go to anybody else. And James, hmm. who's your guy? My guy is Tim in a barber shop in Old Town Clovis. So we all have different yeah, paths here. So Charlie works uh is an independent and has a, a little boutique, not a boutique, a little stall. I don't know, a little room in one of the Sola Salon places. And I've been going to him for uh, years and years and years, like when he used to work at Planet hair and and all sorts of yeah and half of my book club goes to charlie oh it's he's very popular with a certain set of ladies here in fresno <laughs> mm, and a from, set of ladies and his husband he's very popular with his husband too <laughs> okay she backed out of that all right <laughs> anyways so 
as people probably know, because we've been putting it all over our Facebook and our Instagram feeds, et cetera, this week, is that we're at the very end of Banned Books Week. So I'm going to ask you some questions, Chris and James. Let's see how well you guys know your history. You want to guess what year Banned Book Week started? Oh, um, 1955. Okay, that's a guess. James, what about you? I would guess probably around 64. 1964. We're not you even are, close, are you're we? You both are really wrong. Okay, so Banned Books Week was actually launched in 1982. So it would have helped if you told us who sponsored Banned Books well, Week. Well, I'm going to tell you that it is. It's, well, it's, now well, that we've answered, you're going to yes, tell us. Now I will. Yes, I will. Okay, so this is interesting. If you remember, listeners, we talked to Nicholas Serafin uh, last week, actually. Great uh, interview. Yeah, and about parental rights and book bans, et cetera. And he was talking about all these crazy bans that were happening in the seventies and the eighties, you know, the wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland and all of these things, that kind of BS is what started banned books weeks. It was launched in 1982 in response to the sudden surge in the number of challenges in books in the libraries, bookstores, and schools. So typically banned books week is the last week of September. I'm not sure why it's not this year and this year it's in October, but that's okay. I'm not in charge. And it is the time, um, let's see here, where librarians, educators, authors, publishers, booksellers, and readers of all types come together to share support for the freedom to seek and express ideas. This year's theme is Let Freedom Read. And the guy who's their special guest slash, you know, ambassador of Banned Books Weeks, is LeVar Burton. So we got some oh, fun. From Reading Rainbow, right? Reading Rainbow yeah. and yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. So so quick, who knows the words to the Reading Rainbow song? Not me. Not me. <laughs> Butterfly in the sky. You guys again, don't know that again, song? We were too old. And again, that's why you did this. You walked us right into that. I can fly twice as high. When you were watching Reading Rainbow, we at the bar, you know. Yeah, we were we were living under the rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I was still just reading about it. Was wait, under the rainbow? Wasn't that the movie about the Munchkins from Wizard of Oz? I don't know. It sounds like a documentary. Nobody knows that one. Okay. Help me, people. <laughs> I would like to know, though. Speaking of reading books and reading rainbowy books, before I continue with my little trivia, let's talk about some of our very first queer books that we read do you remember the first time you read a book that had queer characters so i don't well i do but not when i was young young because we didn't have anything i mean i was born in 61 james and i were both born in 61 so there was nothing out there and that's what's become pretty clear to me as we've gone through kaylee and james and i reading these banned books is that we never had any of this kind of content when we were kids. Now, Kalia probably did, but James and I certainly didn't. The books that I had when I, I read when I was a kid were like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and To Kill a Mockingbird and right. you know stuff like that. Um, I remember one book when I was, um, I don't know, 13 or something that my brother Scott and I both read and hid under our mattress. It was called The Moon Lovers. And this was not an LGBTQ book. It was a sci-fi sex romp. And we read it because there was this whole circle of people, men and women, you know, having a line 
sex dance on the moon. And we found that really exciting. But that was as close as we ever got to even sex in books. There They're was alien orgies. <laughs> well, they were humans, but I mean, it was on the moon. There was one book I read as a kid that I still have, and I was looking for it tonight before the recording, and I couldn't find it. It was called Don't Put Me in the Zoo. It was a Dr. Seuss book. And it was, I didn't realize how much this book had touched me until much later in life. I bought it like 10 years ago or so, because I saw it on Amazon. It's the story of a, like a polar bear that has all these rainbow polka dots on him. And he, so he doesn't fit in anywhere. And he goes around trying to, you know, fit in somewhere and they end up putting him in the zoo because he's so odd. And that really touched me when I was a kid. Um, I don't know if I knew exactly why the reason was, but it touched me now that I now I know is because I was so different that I belonged in a zoo to be stared at by other people. <laughs> wow, that's so funny. I Yeah, I know. I know exactly what book you're talking about. It's uh, in one of the collections of kids books, the Dr. Seuss collections that we had for my kiddo when she was little. Yeah, I think I either I think I got it for Ella or mm -hmm. you might I, have. I think I might have bought it for Ella at some yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't remember when I was younger reading any books that were gender oriented or, or queer oriented. I remember as a, a young sixth grader, seventh grader, I discovered my mother had a copy of everything you wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask. And I would come home from school and spend about an hour going through it before she got home from work uh -huh. on a myriad of subjects, just out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Of course, spent a lot of time on the homosexuality chapter, but didn't really read anything until I was in high school. And I think a book by Edmund White. Chris, does that name sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like the, uh, of course, Dancer from the Dance. But those were stories about, you know, coming out and relationships with men that, it, you know, it was intriguing as hell for me to read because I grew up in a military environment. So I never thought of that as being anything other than a sexual thing and an abnormal thing. So... When you read the joy, was it the joy of gay sex or just the joy of no, sex? Just everything you wanted to know about sex. Oh, everything you wanted to know ask. about sex. Yeah. Okay. So was that your first exposure to knowing about men on men sex? About what they did. Yeah, specifically. A lot of my thoughts before that were simply thoughts. I would see, you know, a couple of guys walking around hanging out and I would think they're going to go somewhere and and touch each other or, you know, do something, you know, it, it wasn't the same thought that you would normally have if you just looked at a couple guys hanging around. Mm -hmm. So I knew that was different, but it might go do a musical number or something. <laughs> that... they're, they're on their way to brunch. <laughs> right, yeah. right. No, I, I never thought of anything. I, it was never anything that we would now equate with being gay. It was just, I'd see a couple guys walking down the street, hanging out. And there was a part of my brain that thought they're going to go somewhere and hug and kiss or, you know, something like that. I Yeah, I had nothing to, to reference it with until I saw that book when I was in fifth grade. So Edmund White, uh, a couple of his books were A Boy's Own Story, which I might think is the one you're thinking about, or The Beautiful Room is Empty. Well, yeah, say, yeah, A Boy's Own Story. And then there was one called The Dancer or Dancer from the Dance that I don't think it was his book. It wasn't his book. That was yeah. somebody else. Yeah. 
But I mean, I, I was discovering those in high school and, and the first few years of college when I was really beginning to come out, come out. So In the library or did you have to seek it out in a store? No, I, I found the Dancer book and I found the Edmund White book in my high school library. Wow, that's okay. cool. Kalia, what about you? Well, I remember having thoughts and feelings about characters and books, but even though I am quite a bit younger than you guys, I'm still... Oh, That's number three, and we're, what, 10 minutes in? Is that... I'm still what they call an elder millennial or a cusper or a Gen X, depending on where you draw the line. So there wasn't... I like elder millennial. <laughs> I like that one a lot. There wasn't a lot. And then also, my parents are very conservative and... I went to a, a private religious school, so I didn't have a lot of access of uh, into things that are a little bit different. So I had my thoughts and feelings. I remember reading like the Babysitter's Club and having a crush on both Christy and Stacy. I remember reading things like there was the Sleepover Club, which was about a bunch of girls who spent the night together and they would like hang out. And I was like, and then what do they do? Like, what what happens after the lights? I was very, the, the books were not any doing anything like that. But in my imagination, they certainly were. That's what I was doing. Yeah. Literary heroes like Natty Gann. I thought she just seemed pretty freaking awesome. And, and then the Sweet Valley Twins, because of course, the Sweet Valley Twins. But then I remember specifically the first book I read that had actual sex in it. I was in seventh grade and someone had brought a book called Princess Daisy to school and we took turns reading it like in secret and this book I feel like I've never reread it as an adult so I cannot tell you but it felt even at the time to me that someone had made a list older woman young man uh, two women you know rough sex this that you know like there was like a list and there was like so much sex in this book but I remember the two women part like I, I remember I feel like I could quote passages from it and I haven't read this book since seventh grade it was very like, oh, my God. So I'm clearly not the only person who's having these thoughts. Other people have these thoughts, too. Do you know what I mean? And there was a, yeah, and, yeah. and it was fairly graphic. And I definitely should not have been reading it in seventh grade. But I did. So there How old are we in seventh grade. I, don't remember I was 11. So 11. Yeah. I think about my daughter, who is now 11, reading that book, uh -huh. and it, like, sends me into, like, panic hives. But... She's flushing right now, people. I, I am. It's like, oh, my James God. James Dancer from The Dance was Andrew Holleran, is okay. who that was. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I just find it kind of, you know, I mean, we've been talking about these books for a while, Kaylee and I, and we brought James into this. But, you know, I, I've been looking at it from a modern viewpoint. And then I try and when I decided today we should talk about what we read as a child, I'm like, I don't have anything because there just wasn't anything around for me and James. There was nothing. And that kind of, you know, I, I love that there are things around for LGBTQ plus youth now, but we're losing them in a lot of places. Well, I'm sure there were there were books there available that touched on our community and our lives and stuff. But I just don't think when we were young that it was something that was, it of course was never on display in the library on an end cap for a pride month or anything like that. And a lot of times during that time, it was relegated to psychological study. And, you know, they thought at that time it was a mental illness. So it wasn't something that you could easily find going into any library. I think right. that's interesting because I had that thought today when I was trying to think back and I thought, was it because there were no books there 
that I couldn't find anything? Or was it because I was so afraid to be gay, which I was terrified to be openly gay, that I just didn't seek them out? Well, and I know from talking to other people and reading other things that they had like dime store, like the pulp fictions and drugstores and stuff. Right, and right. there might be one or two that like skirted the line or were, I mean, like Bebo Brinker is an actual thing, right? Like there were books and they were available in right. some places, but it wasn't like you're saying, it wasn't a library. It wasn't easy to find. And you'd have to like buy it there at the, at the Woolworths or whatever, you know? Right. True. You had to be and revealed. They weren't geared towards children. They were geared for adults and they were in places that really only adults. You had to really seek it out. And you had to risk being outed by buying exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So... A lot of the male to male erotica or discovery story and stuff like that, those were usually sold in adult bookstores. They weren't, you know, they weren't sold at Barnes and Noble. I remember the first time I went to a bookstore and I think it was Walden Books and they actually had a section. And this was when I was in college. They had a section marked gay and lesbian fiction, nonfiction. And I was shocked that they had done that because most of that stuff had to be purchased underground or in adult bookstores. Right, right. Yeah. I think that all of us at that time when we actually saw the first displays in bookstores were like, what the fuck is this? They're actually putting it out on display. We don't have to surreptitiously go through the piles to try and find something. It's right out there for us. But then you had the fear of being outed by buying something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Know, which kept us from the, it. All the person times. could go and say something to their coworker or to somebody else. And, you know, and in a small town, if you grew up in a small enough town, of course, it was common knowledge everywhere. Once something happened to you that was a, a flag, a red flag warning. Then everybody, everybody knew. It's really interesting. I mean, I remember Walden Books and Crown Books and like all there was there used to be a lot of different kinds of bookstores out there. Some were big and some were private. And then Amazon came along and a lot of people were mad because Amazon made buying books different and you know, bookstores, yada yada. But the nice thing about Amazon is that you can buy books that you might not want to, you know, buy in front of somebody. I remember I bought a copy of the Kama Sutra at a Barnes and Noble once as a Valentine's Day present. And the boy who rang me up was my pastor's son. Nice. <laughs> oh, I love nice. And I mean, I lived in San Jose. It was not a tiny town, but like you're in a neighborhood. This is the, you know, the Barnes Noble near where you live, blah, blah, blah. So like, exactly. And even that was like, and I was like a full ass grown adult. And I still was like, oh, crap, you know, like here I am buying this book. And that one wasn't even gay. It was just sex. It was so, sex, exactly. You know? Yeah. So I have a question for you guys. Let's see. Here's another little trivia question. Do you know the difference between a challenged book and a banned book? I believe, well, a challenge book, I believe, is when somebody from the community writes a letter to the library, says there's something wrong with this book. And a banned book is one that the library decides, okay, we're done with. What about you, James? Do you want to take a crack at it? That would be my assumption that a challenge book is one where someone has raised questions about it and wants it reviewed. Mm -hmm. And then the banned book is the end result of that review. So there's a technical legal definition, actually. The challenge is an attempt to remove access to materials in a particular setting. A banned book is removing of those materials. So you might see that there's lists online of the most challenged books and the most banned books. And that doesn't necessarily mean that these books were challenged, but then not banned. It can mean that they were materials were removed 
in terms of access in a particular setting. So when we say this book shouldn't be at this library or in, let's say, let's be more specific, this book needs to be in the adult section of the library or the gay section of the library and not in the children's section of the library. That counts it, even though now it's still in the library, it's still counted as a challenged book. It's not banned, but it's still challenged and had to be moved into a different area. I find find the legal distinction kind of interesting in terms of that. So you're right, though. Most of the time they challenge books first, and then there's a discussion whether or not they should be removed or not. And I have kind of an uncomfortable, unhappy stat for you that's related to that. I was on PEN America, which is an amazing site. They do a lot of good work. And they've got this index up for the 22-23 school year, right? We don't have the numbers because we're still in the 23-24 school year. And they have got a books on their on their index of challenged and, and banned books, etc. And of the 2,532 bans listed in this index, 96% were enacted without following the best practice guidelines for book challenges outlined by the the American Library Association and the National Coalition Against Censorship, which basically means 96% of books were, they went ahead and moved them or took them down without going through the steps. Because there are actual steps when a book is challenged, it is supposed to have, and and again, you can go back to our interview um, with Nadine, for, from a couple of weeks ago where she was talking about this process, like they're, they're supposed to, you know, there's like a letter, there's a form, there's a thing then there's supposed to be a review of people who've actually read the book, yada, yada, yada. But a lot of times that's not happening. They're just playing it safe and taking the books down. We got a list recently of all the challenged books throughout the libraries in Fresno. There were about 20 and every single one was challenged and then responded to by the librarians and nothing was taken off the shelf. So in Fresno, despite what's going on here in Clovis and the stuff we hear around town, Fresno has stepped up and they've said, even though we couldn't get them on the show to talk about it, they have stepped up and said, we're not going to ban these books. Now, Mm -hmm. on the flip side of that, there's a school district in Florida where they have ordered librarians to purge all books with LGBTQ characters, period. Not sex, not anything graphic, not language, just LGBTQ books in general. And the librarians were asking, what if there's a secondary character in this book that just happens to be LGBTQ, but is not a main character in the story? And they said, yes, take it off the shelf. They have had to literally rip this stuff off the shelves. Mm -hmm. Now, this is one county in Florida, and we all know what's going on in Florida, but this is Charlotte County in Florida. But just think about the ramifications of that if that takes off, because we're already feeling it in California. We always thought this would be a Southern thing or a Florida, Texas thing, and now it's creeping into California. So think about that. Yeah. And of the subject matter of banned content is really interesting. Again, I'm getting these numbers from Pan America, and this is the percentage of unique banned titles from July 2021 to July 2022. 41% of the books that were banned had an LGBT themes or character. That's it. 40% had a a protagonist or secondary character who was a character or or a a person of color. 22% had sexual content. 21% had things that deal with race and racism. 10% themes of rights and activism. 
and 9% biography and autobiography and memoir. That's disappointing. Yeah. And then 4% are things with religion, which is interesting because you, I would have expected religion to be higher. But well, I would guess a lot of that not. was not Christian religion. Sorry. It was other religions. We're very lucky in California. So far, it's holding Gavin Newsom just passed a law that says we will not ban books in California, period. Yes, actually, he's following along with Illinois. Illin the state of Illinois passed the, uh, such a law uh, actually back in June, and they basically said that they will not be banning books at all in so Illinois. So the backlash is built. I shouldn't even call it backlash it, because the backlash should be what's the opposite of backlash? Response, I would say. Yeah, response. I mean, we should be at the forefront. We should not be responding to people who are banning books. The people who want to ban books should be responding to us, which, you know, you can take that either way. But we are stepping up to the plate in a couple of ways, and we hope it gets better. And I read on, on Joe My God and a couple of other sites, the surprisingly low number of people who were starting the challenges to all of these books. I mean, there there was some group, some libraries where they said it was simply one person or two people who turned in lists and that was it and from there they had to go and do reviews and decide whether or not to pull books and it's such a relatively low number of people that are instituting mm -hmm. all these challenges and i think what's happening now is people are starting to realize i'm not gonna let one or two or 10 or 20 crazy people decide what the hell i can read or what anybody else can read and they're fighting back and, and that gives me some hope. Yeah. And in Florida, again, Florida, 386 books were banned. Two people, two yes. were responsible for 50% of those bans. Yeah. There's at least 50 groups have been involved in pushing for the book bans. These operate predominantly through social media, as we can imagine. And most of these groups, including their chapters, appear to have formed since 2021. 73% of the groups that are fighting and saying that we need to ban books like moms of liberty etc formed since 2021 so this is this is again that pendulum swings you know two steps forward one step back all of that stuff right. right so we we we're aware because we have been talking about this we have spoken at these recent uh school board meetings that the real radicalization of school boards across the country is partly what's responsible for this. And we all know that that started with, or that it really excelled with the Moms for Liberty. There is now a group that is countering that. I, I read about them the other day. Okay, so Amanda Littman, the co-founder of Run for Something, announced this week that their new group will pump $10 million into local school board races that are being hijacked by the conservative moms for liberty so there are now finally it seems like it's taken years but of course it hasn't but it feels that way we have progressive liberal groups forming with some money behind them to try and counter these groups like moms for liberty because that's that's what we have to stop is we have to stop school boards and city councils from getting hijacked by radical elements and another thing that's happening, which is also part of the pushback, and I know, I know, it's not that Generation Z is going to save the world, but this is a thing that Generation Z is doing, the Student Advocates for Speech. So the National Coalition Against Censorship, in conjunction with the Student Advocates for Speech, has made basically clubs for kids who want to read banned books. And right now it's in 19 schools spanning 15 states in the United States, so very small number, but... There's 21, you know, student leaders and they're participating in the program and they anticipate that this is just going to spread and spread. You'll be happy to know that these are particularly 
common in states like Texas, Florida, and Missouri because of the rampant educational censorship. So the program provides participants with virtual advocacy training opportunities to engage in national dialogue with authors, journalists, and reporters of banned books and assistance in amplifying their voices through media interviews and op-eds. So it's a way of getting the students involved in knowing that they are being denied something and having them fight back because, you know, uh, they, they're not voting yet because they're students, but this is a way to get people involved. And we will put that in the show notes if you are interested in finding or supporting one such chapter. And on the heels of that, just a week ago, the students in Temecula, California at the Great Oak High School staged a walkout because of oppressive, toxic, anti-LGBTQ plus environment. This is one of the school districts that the state attorney general, after going after the Chino school district, is watching because they've been trying to do the same kinds of things like censoring books and uh, banning gender speech, et cetera. Okay. So uh, here's another little trivia question for you. Guess the book. Here we go. What popular classic? that has since been turned into a billion-dollar movie franchise was burned at a church in New Mexico for being satanic. Harry Potter. Gotta be. Right? James, your guess. That would be my guess. This is even older than that. This is The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings? Wow. Yep. You know, that satanic Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Those were big books. So that was a good fire they had going. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. How about this one? This book won the Borders Original Voice Award. It won the San Francisco Chronicles Best Book of the Year Award. It was challenged and banned because it was thought to, quote, lead to terrorism and, quote, promoted Islam. It was one of the ones on our list, Chris. Do you know which book this was? Oh, I would say Out of Darkness. No, actually, it's The Kite Runner. The Kite Runner. Oh, The Kite Runner. I didn't read that one. I read it. I read it, too. Okay, so let's talk about, since we wanted to talk about our books on the list. So, James, you read The Kite Runner. I read The Kite Runner. I I read it so long ago that when I saw that it was on this list, I went, but why? (laughs) I had to, like, skim it again and, and remember that there's one scene I suppose. I'm guessing it's that scene, right? That would be your guess? I don't think it's even a scene. It's a reference in a paragraph. Yes. And and it's off off screen, so to speak. Yes. It's it's something that the the guy saw beginning and walked away from. Mm -hmm. So there, there was nothing really descriptive, nothing other than the implication of what happened. And that was it for the whole book. Until towards the end, when they brought that instance back up again. Yeah. Didn't you say, James, that the um, the most graphic, because I think you read me that, because I was asking you when you were reading this, what, what was the problem with this book? And you read that scene, and it was something about he entered him from behind or something, and that was the most graphic he, No, the, the, it was... the most graphic part of that paragraph was he saw his friend's pants being pulled down with the guy behind him and then the guy made a reference to anal rape and this was this this, and this was a rape scene right it It was a rape scene but it didn't go into the detail of the scene it it basically was like a fade out in a movie that you would see where you would see the beginning the easy part of you know just the scene where he's starting to pull the pants down and then it would fade out and to be to be fair it was a it was a child being raped too it well, was yeah. a school-age child with another school-age child. Yes, yeah. So the, I... the main scene. And then the later reference was to that the bully who, who did that 
ended up continually doing that throughout his life. That's the the idea that you get from the rest of the book. Right. So in the last the last scenes of the book. Having read other books that have more graphic rape scenes in them, I have to wonder if the fact that this one got people so mad was because it was a male being raped or because of the ethnic persuasion of the people, the characters, or because it's because, like you said, it's not graphic and it certainly wasn't as there are so many other books about rape. Women get raped in books all the time. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just, it doesn't seem to bother people in the same way. But I didn't read this one. Is it Muslims in the book or Middle Eastern people? What They're is Muslims. the Yeah. Okay. Yes. It takes place in Afghanistan. My thought after finishing the book, because I, like I told Chris, I go, there was nothing there that constituted homosexuality or you know anything the a hint of the violence but i think what scared people about this book was it just talks about a friendship between two people and the the familial relationship they end up having but it's an afghan family Mm -hmm. and they're muslims and it talks about things that happen to people over in afghanistan as a result of other countries interfering and other countries coming in and starting wars and doing things and the the struggle for power. And it tries to explain it in a way that makes it not, I didn't get terrorism at all from it, other than the fact that towards the end of one group had taken over the country. And this book, if I remember right, this book was huge when it came out. Yeah, made into a movie, was it? No. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And an Oscar winner, I think. Also, it's very sympathetic to the Afghan people. I think that is what gets people's panties in a bunch because, and this is, this is tangentially related to my World War II book rant, but people, especially when we're reading fluffy fiction and contemporary fiction tends to be a little fluffy. We want very easy lines. We want easy dentally lines of good guys, bad guys. And if it's we're at war with a country, we want them to be the bad guys because then we don't have to feel guilty and we don't have to have complicated feelings about complicated systems of government that right. you know that aren't black and white. So you have a book that is sympathetic and it has this scene in it, this, this quasi scene in it. But I think that it's more so because the book was it, the US doesn't come across very good in this book. It's yeah. not a war propaganda book. And if you read it, you're like, damn, I feel bad for these people. I I would say, actually, I, I enjoyed the book. It, it was it was a well-written book. The Very. sequel, the sequel, A Thousand Splendid Sons, I personally liked more because it was from the female point of view. And the ending just gutted me. And it has a different amounts of violence, but there's actually like executions that happen and beheadings in that second book that are terrifying and is that book suffering bannings or no not like this one not like the kite runner i don't think it was as popular and so and it probably they didn't put it in high school (laughs) they probably learned i think that's part of it too is was the book really popular because what we're finding with a lot of these books that are being banned when i looked at the list from florida of these 386 books this list repeats across the country over and over. It's the same books. And so I delved into that a little bit. And there are these groups like Moms for Liberty Online that are 
creating this list and pushing it out to people. And th yep, these exactly. people are just grabbing the list and saying, okay, I've never read the book. I'm never going to read the book, but let's ban that book. Yep. Copy and paste and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. I think the kite runner to me, it was, it was a human story about the relationship that this person had with his father, his father's friend, the housekeeper per se, the, you know, the hired help because his father was wealthy. And then he finds out the relationship behind everything. And it was just a human story. It was the humanity that was told and the emotion and the feeling. And every, it was just, it was a beautiful story to me. And it was a typical story that most people have. There's great things that happen in our lives. And then there are things that we find out that sucked and how we deal with them and how we overcome them and how we change. And he, this, this guy is trying to make a change. And I think people don't want to know that about somebody from Afghanistan or somebody from the Middle East. They automatically will assume it's a horrible movie about Muslims and promoting Islam and terrorism simply because it's set in Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah. So did you read Out of Darkness, Kalia? Because I didn't and James didn't. I read, I started it. I did not get very far because glaucoma is a thing. But um, you have it in your hand. The very beginning of that book starts with an explosion and a bunch of people like, like the prologue literally is about them going through the rubble after a school has been exploded and finding body parts and putting them into baskets so that parents can come and find the body parts of their children and identify. And I was like, oh, I don't have the spoons for this. <laughs> so <laughs> I know that the rest of the story has to do with like an interracial love affair and what, but like that little bit of violence and, and my own health things, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't have the ability to read this book right now. So I did not. As it was banned because it was considered to contain pornographic material. So we haven't really read it. We haven't gotten into that, but I will tell you that that, that opening scene is very visceral. <laughs> So just from the list we've got, and we're going to move on, yep. top themes are LGBTQ+, mm -hmm. race, and pornography. So what do we want to touch on next? Well, what's the next one? Just go down the list. Okay, so I have Me and Earl and a Dying Girl. Have you read that? I freaking hated this book. Oh, thank you. So did I. <laughs> James, have you read this? I have not. I would say that this book should be- I read it yesterday. It was it awful. It shouldn't be banned because of what the subject, but it should be banned because it's just awful. It's awful. It's, exactly. It's an awful, <laughs> awful book. I hated the main character and it's the, from the point of view of the main character. So you could never escape him. And right. he was gross. I didn't want to root for him. He didn't learn anything. I didn't like him. I Nothing about this book. There's no redeeming value. And it pisses me off that the author's like, oh, ah, I'm I'm not making any points. I'm not being sappy. I'm an asshole. La, 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 la. And I'm like, yeah, you don't get a pass because you call out your own incompetence. I'm sorry. Yeah, the author steps into this book several times to say, you know, you know, just like what Kalia said, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing, but I can see how this book would be interesting to a 13 year old because it's written as if, no, I think because it's written like a 13 year old. It's, I think I agree with Kaylee. It's stupid. And, and it's, it was banned because of, there's really very little gay stuff in here. There's only a couple of like, they say faggot and they talk about being gay but they don't really delve into gay. So this was about language and about, and there wasn't even really sex in that book. So I don't really get it. No, 
And the other thing that probably made this book so bad for me was that the book I read right before it is also on our list, which was The True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. I I just finished that one. Okay, so let's talk about that one. Say the title, so I'm going to make sure I got it right. It's called The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi. I finished this yesterday. Okay, I really liked this book. (laughs) I did too. I really liked this book too. And again, I think that the Dying Girl book suffered because I read it after this. And I was like, this is a high school boy. That's the order I read it in. I read the Indian book and then I read (laughs) me and Earl. So I don't know if that makes a difference, but they're both, okay, they both have teenage boy protagonists who are figuring things out. But one of them has a sympathetic teenage boy protagonist who says gross things because all teenage boys say gross things, but he has the self-awareness to be like, to grow and change. And we watch him mature and he's dealing- Barely. I mean, he grows at the very end of the book. The, The one thing that pissed me off about this book and me and Earl was- why are these main characters that we are, of course, supposed to at least feel sympathy for, if not love, because they're the main character, hanging out with these asshole best friends? I mean, I mean, I don't mean just kind of asshole. I mean, really asshole. In the this is the book, I believe, uh, which is the one where he gets beat up by his best friend's brothers. That's that's, that's the me Earl and book. Earl. That's yeah. the Earl book. Well, yeah. this one isn't much better. This guy treats him like shit, too. He comes around at the end, though, I'll give you, but at the very end. But I also like the fact that this character is dealing with racial issues and family issues and class issues. and Oh, yeah. And physical issues. And he was physical born issues. With issues, yeah. And it just, it's it's a much more optimistic, wholesome, hopeful oh, yeah. book. And, I you know, so maybe it's not as, quote, edgy and real to life or whatever but i mean if i'm going to spend time in the world of of a you know a fantasy world a, a place in a book and give some of my free time to that at the end of it i want something to come out of it and if it's and i liked that it made me feel good at the end i was like happy and optimistic True. and even I, though it yeah. had some really sad stuff a dog gets shot in the first chapter or the second oh, chapter yeah. maybe. That was, i was that... like oh my god this is setting a tone and that was because but... the dog was sick and they didn't have money to take the dog to yes the yeah. so it's not gratuitous it's like it serves a purpose to show you just how and it's about the mistreatment are. of native americans in america On which is really important yeah, yeah. I, it's not a banned book, but have you guys been watching Reservation Dogs? No, is that it's a tele- television series based on the movie? No, no. Okay, that or Reservoir Dogs. That's the Quentin Tarantino movie. Okay, yes. okay. So it's about a bunch of kids on a reservation in Oklahoma, and it has three seasons. And it is and what is what is this on? It's on Hulu. It's okay. really really good. They actually cast actual native actors who can act amazingly and. I, I know I'm watching it and the story's great and the acting's great and the characters are great. And there are things that I'm not getting because I'm not native and that's fine. Like I don't have to be the target audience for everything. My husband right. who works with a lot of native tribes, he says, oh, he's getting like a lot of these jokes on another level because he actually interacts with people who have similar, you know, uh, traditions and et cetera, et cetera. And even, and we both know that he's also missing other elements. So this, this show is so well done it services you whether or not you're in the native american culture or you're just a white person like me who appreciates it it's about teenagers trying to like escape from the reservation life and like what does that mean and can you really escape and 
and then you have to kind of accept who you are and your culture and like that there's good and bad parts of it it's really well done anyways i love that i'm show. always in native american stories because as in this book they talk about how native americans believe in two-spirit people and they mm-hmm. they elevate gay people to a higher standard than even straight people and just an audience note here, if you want to read another Native American book that's actually relatively well written, it was called There, There, and it actually takes place in Oakland, California, and it's a contemporary adult book, and uh, I would recommend it. So there you go. All right. All the book recs today. Okay, what's next on the list, Chris? James, what's the other book you read? The other book I read was called uh, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Okay, I didn't read this one, but I think Kalia did. So I'll let you guys talk about this one. I liked this book. I love this book. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm so glad. I haven't seen the movie because I really liked the book. And there's a sequel that I haven't read yet. Because again, I really liked this book. (laughs) Right. The title is based on Tupac Shakur's Thug Life Tattoo. Mm -hmm. Because the hate you give, the first letter spells the word thug. And then life is little infants fuck everyone. Yep. So it's the hate you give little infants fucks everyone. Yep. And that encapsulates what this entire book is about. Now I want to read it. It's so good. And when we talk about reading something that feels authentic, you know, we just like basically crapped all over that Earl book for good reason. But one of the things was like, you said it felt like something a 13 year old might like to read. It didn't feel like it was something a teenager would actually write. It felt like, like an adult trying to be a teenager, but this book, the hate you give, it feels like a teenager wrote this book. The voice is so authentic. I didn't understand probably 30% of the slang that was fine. <laughs> you know, it was, it was so good. It was so good. And again, it had to deal with somebody kind of having to code switch, but living in two different worlds, kind of going back and forth and that sense of identity in one group and sense of identity in another group. And who am I really? And how do I fit in? And like and change, having to change it on the fly yes, based upon where you were at and what situation you were in. That's similar to what, gay men and and lesbians go through in their younger years especially in the high schools Mm -hmm. of course but i think the development of every character in this book was done exceptionally well there were characters that you literally would get angry at there were characters that you were sympathetic to consistently throughout the entire book And then there were others that you just wanted to slap. (laughs) And it raised every level of emotion that you could have, just like you would have in high school, just like you would be going through if you were one race and you were having to function as a representative of that race to the opposite Mm -hmm. race, Mm -hmm. like she does when she's in the other school. Yeah. She feels she has to represent a different version of herself. And that's something we all struggle through. But I think it was done exceptionally well. Yep. And a great story behind it all. Yeah. It's interesting to me, though, actually, that so far on this list, the ones that we've liked the most uh, have to deal with very similar themes of somebody being two people at once and that struggle of identity. So I don't know what that says about maybe us, that we're both drawn. We're all drawn to that kind of idea. And again, like maybe it's because of what you're saying, James, about when you're in the queer community, there's a little element and we all have it in different levels, of course, but of having to be two people at once or my honest self versus my I need to do this so I'm safe self. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I, I think with this book, one of the things that probably angers a lot of people 
if they do actually try to research it and read it. I think what angers a lot of the white people is it explains very well some of the anger and hatred that comes from the African-American community based upon what the white community has done to them over years and years and years of oppression. Mm -hmm. It gives you a glimpse into what they feel and... I'm sure it scares the hell out of a lot of people because they they see their fault. And I, I want to say, I think that's probably why some of these books that we're talking about that are based on ethnic people in the U.S. are being banned as well. I think that's a huge part of it. I don't think people want to hear sympathy for ethnic groups. No, and I, that may be very cynical cynical of me, but it's I do believe It's literally what that. I said before. When we have a thing and we have a good guy and a bad guy, and that's easy, and we don't want complicated feelings and so if you're starting to feel sympathy right. for a group that is being consistently shat on by our society then you're going to be less likely to shit on them but then that means that then you have may have that second step of like well maybe i need to call it out when other people are doing the shitty things right. and then that's right. scary and confrontational and it's just simpler to just not. be like nope 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 i'll live in my little box yeah. yeah black and white black and white is simpler yeah yeah, absolutely. I really liked that in that book that there's a part where she's talking about the looting and why people loot and like the anger involved in that. And it's a different point of view than you would ever get from a different author or a white author talking about looting within the neighborhoods. And I just I thought it was a very I thought it was interesting. I really liked that book a lot. Well, and the and the explanation of why the young man why he was dealing drugs when he did not want to be dealing drugs and he wasn't a fan of that even based upon what it had done to his own mother but yet the reality was that's the only choice he had mm -hmm. to make good fast money because he lived in an area where it was frowning, you know, that he was immediately thought of as a gangbanger or a thug or stuff like that. And you, to, to understand and hear the conflict within their own community between people in, in that respect, she explained it perfectly. Mm -hmm. You know, when she, when she said that's his only choice. It matters which point of view a story is told from, um, which is why, we talk about, you know, some people shouldn't speak out about the issues of other groups because the, the group that is involved in that issue should be the one speaking out and certainly uh, better telling the stories most of the time. This makes people uncomfortable to have to read this, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. You know, people yeah. from uh, white people, Hispanic people, even anybody who makes an assumption about what goes on in these communities you know, there, there are statements in there that will make you feel uncomfortable and make you have to think twice and sometimes three times about the assumptions that you live on right? when it comes yeah. to these people. So, well, extremely well done. Cool, cool. So the next book, how about All Boys Aren't Blue, which Kaylee and I have already reviewed on this show, so we're not going to spend a lot of time of it. And we actually interviewed George M. Johnson on the show, and there's a podcast of ours you can hear with that. So... I don't know that we need to go over that book. We've already yep, gone over it. But we'll it. just say that it checks all the boxes. It's queer. It's a memoir. A black author. There we go. And <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. Every, everything we talked about is in this book. If you haven't already done it, listen to one of our podcasts where Senator Kennedy reads a passage from this book at the end, and it's just fucking hilarious. Oh, so bringing that up. I just think that's the funniest thing on the planet. <laughs> this is my ass. Okay, so... Let, this one can be really quick. This book is Gay by Juno Dawson. It's like an encyclopedia of 
terms uh, yeah. and definitions. And that's really all it is. And I don't need to say more about it than that. Who who should read This Book is Gay? I mean, this is a great book for teenagers, like 16-year-olds, okay. because it explains what is going on in the world as far as the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have a couple left. Lawn Boy, Kalia, you read this uh, one? No. I know James didn't, so I'm the I only think... one. Kaylee, you told Did me you read you? this. Well, hold on. Let me look it up and see if it jogs my memory. This is about the, the Mexican kid who was a gardener. Oh. Landscaper. Yeah. I do not remember that book. I know I've read it's it. It's another one where the main protagonist is surrounded by jerks and he lives in a family, a dysfunctional family, and he's poor, 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 poor. There's a lot of, let me say that in these books, being poor is a common uh, subject. And this one he ends up being gay at the very, very end. end. Very that's why, end. That's why this didn't really resonate with me. It was at the last why? minute he ends up being gay, even though he talked about it throughout the book. He ends up being gay in this book. Um, okay, a couple of other books that aren't really fiction. It's perfectly normal, which is the book that Diane Pierce is going after. I went into this one a little more detail yesterday just to refresh my memory, and this is basically a sex ed book. Mm -hmm. And it's for everybody. It's not just for LGBTQ people, although they are represented in mm -hmm. there. And it talks about how people have sex, how people have babies. It talks about the organs in your body and body parts and what they all mean. It's a sex ed book. And that would have been amazing to have when we were in fourth and fifth grade. It honestly would have been. Yep. Yeah, because it's not it's not scary. It's called it's, it's all cartoons. Mm -hmm. And yet. There are images of people's bodies in there, absolutely, because they're talking about puberty. They're talking about all kinds of things. But for kids, this and this is for ages 10 and up, this is a great resource to just learn about your bodies. And let's reiterate to everybody that if you don't teach kids about their bodies and about sex and about all of that, they are much more at risk of being molested or abused by people. We didn't have a sex ed book at my school because it was a private school book. Do you have a class? Um, Nothing, no, huh? God says sex is bad, the end. Okay, so then I was in high school and we didn't get it in high school because everybody, I went to a public high school, but everybody had gotten it in younger things. There had been some kind of mention at one point in eighth grade about AIDS will kill you if you kiss somebody with AIDS. So don't kiss anybody because you could get AIDS and then you'd also right, die. Right. Okay. I did my promiscuous high school years, et cetera, not knowing very much, but fumbling about as most people do. But being the nerd that I am, I wanted to know more. And this was kind of before the internet was the way that it is now. You couldn't just Google stuff. I mean, you could ask Jeeves, but first of all, that's embarrassing. And second of all, you didn't know what you were going to get. Oh, I forgot about Jeeves. So I actually got a book, another book from Barnes & Noble on a different trip. It was called The Guide to Getting It On. I bought it in the human sexuality department of the Barnes & Noble by my high school. I still have that book. And some of it has not aged particularly well because, of course, it was written at a very specific time. It's not a very inclusive book, but it did talk about gender stratification and gender roles. And it did talk about sex in a very upfront and vocal way and benefit it had actual pencil drawings of anatomy, which is good to see because yeah, yeah. we've talked about this on the show actually before. You both have, you guys are boys. You you dangle like you're out there, but like women have to, like it's a different thing to see what's going on down there. And it's weird. And like, you don't know if you look like everybody else. Trust right. me, listeners, you don't. Everybody you know. looks different. Right. But like, until you know that, you don't know. And here's the thing. I kept that book for years and years and years. At one point, my daughter asked me an, an, an anatomy question, 
And I certainly wasn't going to Google it for her because we don't want you that. You don't know what's going to pop up on the exactly. screen. Exactly. Right? And I don't want to be on some list and I'm certainly not showing her mine. So I had this book and now we have the uh, the perfectly normal book too. And I just, I really appreciate the fact that these books exist for people and they're right. so helpful and Yes, I'm so glad. So I'm yeah. glad we live in a time where these books are available. And okay, you should all yeah. buy this book. It's a good book. You should, yeah. And the next book is Beyond Magenta, which I glanced through. I did not read. It's Transgender Teens Speak Out. It's about transgender teens speaking about their own experiences being trans. We obviously know why that was banned. And let's talk about gender queer. And I don't think James or Kalia read this one, right? It's a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel. novel and I don't do graphic novels. So it's really good, I think. It's about a trans teen. The thing I found most informative and, and interesting about this one is at one point, the main character talks about listening to a speaker at a school talk about how gender is formed in the body separately from sex and how the chemicals in your brain might create any number forms of gender identity, regardless of what you have between your legs. This is a really good one, I think, again, for 13-year-olds, uh, somewhere around there. I think it's a great book. So, And then Looking looking for Alaska. I know you read this one. Yeah, I did. So this book, that's a John Green, right? Uh, yes, hated yeah. it. There are better John Green books out there, I will say. I think There would have to be. I think Paper Towns is a better book. What did you not like about this book? I could talk all day about what I didn't like about this book. I feel like John Green has a couple things that he does well, but he does them in all of his books. So if you've done this John Green shtick, then you've done the John Green shtick, right? Yeah. And so then when yeah. you read it in the next book, you're like, yeah, no, I've already seen and done this. Also, like teen suicide is, I feel like- Played out. Well- I don't know about played out because it's well, very... I mean, it's been in so many books. It's it done has. over and over and over. And I thought this one had a really bad trajectory because the second the whole second half of the book right. is about them trying to figure out why this girl committed suicide. And and that's it's weird because like on the one hand, you understand, right? You know, you lose somebody in that way and and you're obsessed for a while. You can't you need you want to figure out. You want to sure. know why. I to this day will occasionally have a dream where Mark and I are having a conversation and he tells me what was going through his head in the last couple of days of his life. And then I wake up and I have a minute of feeling like, oh, okay, that mystery is solved. And then I remember that that's just a dream and I still don't really know what happened. You know what I mean? Right, so right. I get it, but the execution, I feel like it was centering the people who were still here and, and her story kind of, I felt like became secondary and that, Right. It was me. about them trying to come to terms with how they felt instead of right. really what happened to her. So Which yeah, I, I, I understand. But also like, again, I just, I, I, the execution wasn't there for me. And again, I feel like once you've read a couple of John Green books, you've read all the John Green books. So. And I'm yeah. trying to remember why this one was, I think this was just sex in general. I don't think it was yeah, necessarily and, and the, LGBTQ. No. Tony Morrison. Oh. Let's talk about that. Uh. I couldn't get through it. James couldn't get through it. I don't know about you, Kaylee. I stopped after chapter two. It was awful. I've read a lot of Toni Morrison books. I like her style. I like the non-linear Well, it must be lines. different from this one. And I like, I, I, I like Toni Morrison. Now, this was her first novel. I do think her writing gets better in subsequent novels. But... It would have to. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> what was interesting when I was after I because I, I, I was looking so forward to this book because I love Toni Morrison, too. And I got like maybe I got through the first chapter and maybe halfway through the second. I'm like, I can't do this. This is just ridiculous. And I read a quote from her. I think it's in the book, actually, where she said she wrote the book out of sequence yeah. If she had to do it again, she wouldn't. She's not yeah. happy with the book. And I read that stupidly before I started reading the book. Uh, I'm like, why are you telling me this book <laughs> is no good? And then asking me to read it. So I didn't get through the book. It was, it was for me, it was just a difficult read because I, I'm reading into an, a new chapter and I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. They were just over here doing this and this. And now she's eight years old when she was just 16 or, you know, it, and it just, it, Without yeah, that, forewarning of, you know, it, I, I don't know. It yeah, just, maybe it if jumped. she'd written a preface that said, you know, this book is out of or, order and this, yeah. They, there could have been things on the chapters that would have clued you in. A lot of people do that nowadays when you have a nonlinear timeline book. They will clue you in or they will do something. Right, I, right. I, I don't know. I kind of dug it. I liked the fact that it wasn't overly simplistic because, unfortunately, like a lot of other things that I've read lately have been you know very paint by numbers or like the john green book like you're like okay well, I don't know. like it's it, there's it's no it's not intellectually challenging so i a tony morrison book or this book specifically i would say it's not a light fluffy book you're not gonna like dip in and out of it you know at no. the bus stop in between like this is a book you really got to sit down and like study and think about and internalize and sometimes as an intellectual pursuit that's totally valid and that's what you want to do and sometimes you just want to watch friends on TV right. and eat right. a you know, right. bowl of popcorn. So well, I get it. Now we know it. what Kalia does in her off time, people. I've, yeah, that's pretty much it. So <laughs> I I liked it, but I can understand. I can understand why people did So that's that's our list. And there are different lists out there of the most so banned books in America. Lists. But these are really over and over some of the top There's titles. There's a couple so. more that I want to say, autumn, um, honorable mention. I think one of the, because like, things like, ebb and flow like you're saying when they become very popular then they get challenged and then like then they're less popular time goes by and public um, outrage moves on to the next thing so we all know that the harry potter books were like banned and like all kinds of stuff and for witchcraft which is just just so silly because it's so fake Stupid. but anyways but also the color purple and bastard out of carolina are two of my favorite books of all time and both of them serious banning challenging issues and color purple was about the lesbianism lesb right? that was actually the first book that i read like besides that princess daisy book that actually had lesbian that i was like oh which, okay which they glossed over in in the movie there's a new movie coming out of the color purple that's going to be released soon i don't know if they gloss over it there or I not i don't know hopefully not but in the book it was pretty pretty prevalent yeah, right? the obvious. lesbian relationship yeah, yeah yeah for sure i love that book and what was the other one you Bastard said out of carolina which they also made into okay. a pretty horrible movie but it was really good well now color purple was a great movie i don't think it was a horrible movie uh i can't even watch it because I, it, james one of james's favorite movies but it makes me cry so i don't like to watch it <laughs> i liked both of those both of those books are tearjerkers and bastard of carolina has child rape through incest with her stepfather and it's violent it's violent and it is a lot and it is it's really hard to read and like also her relationship with her mother is very toxic and her mother choosing him over her and it's just heartbreaking mm -hmm. but it is it's very moving and i actually the, the author of bastard of carolina is dorothy allison 
I actually was uh, met her in person years ago. We were at a writer's oh, conference cool. and the theme was censorship. So she actually gave a whole speech about censorship. And I was in one of the little out, you know, breakout sessions when we got to go talk to her about whether or not she thought her book, Bastard of Carolina, should be in high schools. And she said mm, at the time, no, probably not. Probably for college kids. That's like, you know, I didn't write this for young people, even though the protagonist is a young person. It's not a book for a young person. It's a book about, a you know, looking back. There is like a very slight framing device where you know that she has survived and like moved on with her life. And so, you know, she she had that not necessarily popular view in the room because everybody there was like, all censorship is bad and everybody should read everything. And then here's the author of this book saying, yeah, my book's not really for teenagers. <laughs> so I thought that was really yeah, fascinating. And that and was a, a conversation that James and I had yesterday or the day before where I said, what do you think about some of these books being restricted from teens? Now, of course, teens now, or I think, because of the internet, much older than we were as teens and much more aware. And like George Johnson said on this uh, show, you know, they can look anything they want up on their phones. So what's the point of, you know, restricting books? But I don't even know if I know the answer to that question. I mean, at what I think we I leave know. it back, to, like we've said, back to librarians to determine what should be in the libraries. And I think, you know, I'm with you. I don't believe in any censorship of any kind. And I think people should be able to read whatever they want, uh, whenever they want, whatever age they are. And we know we're not talking about pornography, even though Diane Pierce doesn't know the definition of pornography. We know what pornography is. And none of the stuff we're talking about is pornography. It It is an interesting thing, though, because I went to the public library and I did read books that were probably too old for me. And then in high school, we had books that in our high school library, there was like a whole Stephen King section, right? You know, I remember in ninth grade, which for me, I was 13. I remember reading a lot of Stephen King and a lot of Stephen King books are older. Like there's serious stuff and there's sex and there's violence and there's, there's blood and there's lots of and stuff, stuff and a lot of violence. And I remember reading those books and then, you know, internalizing I, on the one hand yeah i want to agree with you but on the other hand i think sometimes kids don't have the ability to say maybe this isn't the book for me maybe i'm wanting you know oh, and so should they not be there i don't i don't have an answer but i do okay so like this is how we've had to do it with my child right you guys know we have thousands of books in this house right uh, we we could be a library and i've always said to my daughter you can read any book in the house but I will tell you that some of these books have to deal with adult themes or they are sad or they are scary or they're about things that you won't understand, appreciate or be comfortable with. So if you want to read a book that's not in the middle grade section or below of our of our how our books are organized, if you want to read a book out of one of my shelves, you just show it to me and I will tell you, honestly, this book has sex in it. This book has violence in this book. The dog dies or you know what? This book has to deal with people dealing with drugs and the fact that like their mom just died. Maybe that's not the book you want to read right now. And my kid will like self-regulate and be like, no, I don't want to read that. But a lot of kids wouldn't and they would just read it, I guess. And I think that's what's, you know, kids should talk to their parents. Problem is, as we know, a lot of these parents don't want to talk about these things and don't want to help guide their children. They just want to block them from information. And I agree that some books may be too old for some groups. Yes. I totally agree with that. Kids should be able to ask those questions of their parents and parents shouldn't be so 
afraid of their kids running out and having sex, which is not what books do in the first place, or running out and becoming LGBTQ when they already are. It, it, there's there's so much to talk about there, and there's no real answer. Definitely. But censorship, we know, is definitely not the answer. And right. if they're afraid to talk to their parents or the parents refuse to talk to them, right. the kids are going to go somewhere else to get their information. Right. And they're not going to get the correct information or they're not going to get right. a learned response about what they're asking. They're just going to get, you know, some trash that somebody tells them. Right. And that's another reason that censorship is bad, because it just urges kids to go further into the pile and try and find something more dramatic. Well, and I think that and then this is tangentially related, but there's a big conversation in literary circles right now about the canon, right? And what books we're asking um, teenagers to read. Because I don't know about you guys, we talked briefly, I think, at the very beginning about books we read in high school. Some of those books were great, right? To Kill a Mockingbird, great book. I, you know, obviously, I really like The Great Gatsby. Great, great, great. Everybody has complicated feelings about Catcher in the Rye. Here's the thing. Yes, it was a lot of white men writing their books. And yes, the canon should be expanded. Right. But one of the things that reading those books in high school, the idea is that you're not just reading it by yourself. You're not just in a vacuum. The teacher is there to explain this to you and to talk you through the the fact that, yes, Mayella Yule was raped in this book. And what does that mean for Scout and for Jem? And what does that mean for Boo, et cetera, et cetera, right? So right. if we say we can't have a book that has a, you know this violence in it for our kids, well, then we're depriving them of having that interaction with it in a teaching environment where they can like process it. And it has, it's okay. My daughter in, I think third grade, they read a book called the one and only Ivan, and it had to do with animals and animal cruelty. And my kid was traumatized. She was so sad. And every book that they have required them in reading since third grade has been sad. There's been at least one or two sad books every year. And there's been very few books that have happy endings. A lot of the books that they are required to read for school are sad because they deal with like immigration issues and family separation issues and the death of this person and this and that. And it's not sex, but there is violence. And my kid's like, why? Why do I have to read these sad books? And the way I've explained it to her is that it's like a vaccine. When you're young and you are exposed to something sad, but in the safety of the teacher, the teacher has picked a book. They know it's going to push you a little bit out of your comfort zone, you know, but that's their job. And then you learn that you can deal with this sad feeling and like life goes on and you're able to internalize that so that when other sad things happen in your life, you've already like gone through those motions and then you'll read sad things when you grow up. And then when you hear the news, it's terribly sad, but you've already like, you're able to like to compartmentalize and to understand and to work on your empathy, but in a way that doesn't freaking destroy you every time something awful or sad happens. But following up on that, I don't know of any of these books that we've talked about or a lot of other books out there that are being banned are because of violence. So I think the community as it is, is perfectly accepting of violence which I don't have a problem with violence in books either. But if you're censoring and hiding the books that share the diversity of the American experience and the human experience, such as LGBTQ people or Black people or Asian people or disabled people, et cetera, if you're hiding that from the kids, they will never develop empathy. They will exactly. never develop a way to march through the world and to accept other people. They will maybe be able to watch Apocalypse Now without having any terrible feelings because <laughs> the violence doesn't bother them. But what about the humanity of the world? Don't ban humanity. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. 
Okay, I have one little thing of good news, and it's related to book bans, and we can wrap up here. Okay. And that is that our, our wonderful president, I love Joe Biden, he has picked a coordinator. So it's a banned book coordinator at the education department. Okay, this is a new, new, new position just created September 2023. A banned book coordinator. Okay. His name is Matt Nosenchuk. He's a former Obama administration official and nonprofit leader whose work has focused on the Jewish and LGBTQ communities, and he started his job. So he's the deputy assistant secretary in the Office of Civil Rights. In the coming weeks, he will lead training sessions for schools and libraries on the shifting legal landscape related to restricting books available to students. The American Library Association will host his first session with him. Um, it has already happened, but he basically, Biden said, you know what? A lot of this stuff is happening and we need to be able to combat it. Wow. So we're making a position in within the Department of Education to deal with banned books. That's fantastic. So, yes. I, Biden's got our back. Gavin Newsom's Thank got us. Thank you, Governor Newsom. Newsom Thank you, back. President Biden. Exactly. We're still following along that Pen America case that involves George M. Johnson. Five more um, plaintiffs have joined the case. These are parents of students. So it's becoming a big deal. I'm in contact with some people over at Pen America. There's no trial date or hearing date set as of right now, but we will keep you informed. So keep reading people, keep checking out these books, and keep standing up and going to these Clovis and other school board meetings and city councils and telling people that we don't want to ban books and why. And remember, just because a book has boobs in it or just because a book has violence in it doesn't necessarily make it a bad book. It just makes it a book that has a wealth of human experience. Yeah, censorship is bad. Let's not support it. There you go. That about sums it up. But remember, you can always email us at it's a queer thing, thang at gmail.com. Let us know what books you read. What was your favorite banned book? Do you still read banned books? Hopefully, you read books. You can also read more about what we're doing over here on Facebook and on Instagram and on Threads. I restarted our Threads account so that it officially exists again. And we will be back in two weeks with our live show. We have um, potentially a really exciting interview with a person who you all know and love who's doing a very important job for the community here in fresno and i'm just gonna leave it there just in case yeah and we will be talking to people who own lgbtq friendly businesses this month too so stay tuned for that thank you james thank you james thank you We can hear you. We can't see you yet. Okay, let me fix that. Why are you not seeing me? Your video settings and your It's settings? not showing me the normal stuff. Oh, it says stop video. Okay. There you go. No, that's just a no, picture of me. Just... <laughs> but it won't let me go back and deselect that. Well, I don't know why it won't let, let you see me. Um... Is your webcam on? Oh, my webcam. Oh, my fucking God. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Okay.